0: your voice tonight let's hear my voice tonight
1: let's hear bow, that let's hear that let's
0: move that voice let's beat that up let's beat that pussy let's make it uh let's squirt it squirt it squirt it squirt it squirt it squirt it
1: squirt it squirt it, squirt it. all right welcome to motel hell my name is ben the Beardo, and i am dick the Fetty. that's true that's true I'm I'm much less tired this week, and instead I'm full of wangs and donuts, which is basically how we record every episode.
0: That's but true. While you pooped today, I haven't, so I am full to the brim, and yeah. my butthole is uh, aching for a squirt. ready to
1: burst. Yeah.
0: So, welcome to part two of the carcass boogaloo. We are back on that crack, and. We're going to be covering the second half of Carcass's career tonight, so that's pretty cool. That's but, what I'm told. But first, we got our movie, movie review. review.
1: So what did we watch tonight, Ben? Tell them. Uh, we watched this cool movie called Oregon. It's about butts. Yeah, it's about, it's well, it's actually about a blind man who's a widower. Who works on uh, church organs Mm -hmm. And he finds an unlikely friend in a homeless girl Yeah And the homeless girl is ruthlessly addicted to guzzling cum for money Yep
0: It's not even about the drugs anymore for her Or the money Yeah, it's just about the
1: guzzle Yeah, that's just the side hustle of the money Yeah
0: And so there's a really gut-wrenching scene On par with Irreversible That is sort of like I don't want to call it a hard rape scene, but it's definitely a hard guzzle scene yeah. that's preceded by a, a hard rape. Yeah. So
1: Think about if you were standing underneath a waterfall with your mouth open, but instead of water, it was jizz. Yeah, and it goes on for 35 minutes. Yeah. The movie's only 45 minutes long, so... It's pretty heartwarming.
0: But actually, that is what we watched. It's a movie <laughs> called Oregon. The plot was slightly different to explain it would be to waste your time, but basically it's about a group of Yakuza connected organ harvesters in Japan and they're doing their thing and the police don't like it much. So they try to stop them and it goes bad. It goes real bad. And it basically is bad for everybody. It's especially bad for the police. And then the rest of the movie is them trying to get them again. And it goes badder. It's, 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 well, I think you described it as ruthlessly nihilistic. Is that those? Yes. Yeah. It It's that. It's... Uh, Especially the ending. <laughs> yeah, so the, the... It's directed by Kei Fujiwara, who's famous for being friends with Shinya Tsukamoto, uh, director of... Oh, Tetsuo the Fart Man. I'm sorry, Tetsuo the Iron Man. It's, I'm gonna get that, and it's gonna be so <laughs> bad. Anyway, please continue. It's a tiny room, and I'm sorry, people. You didn't hear that, but you can probably smell it through your stereo. Uh, Anyways Kei Fujiwara She was the main actress in the original Tetsuo film If memory serves me right And we'll correct this in a later episode About Shinya Tsukamoto But I believe that they filmed A lot of Tetsuo the Iron Man In the house that was abandoned Next to Kei Fujiwara's house And uh, they essentially lived with The Fujiwara family Her and her husband or fiance Throughout the filming of the movie Which took like a year and so, by the time they were it took done... a year? Yeah. Wow. Because it was entirely independent.
1: Yeah, that's true. So,
0: basically, everybody was working for free, and if they started with a big cat. I'm, you know, I'm not going to get into the history of Tets with a Bullet Man as much as I'd like to,
1: but... That's a different episode.
0: Yeah, so she's in it, and there are a handful of other actors. Most of the credits on IMDb you can't follow anywhere else, but there is a famous character actor from a lot of Yakuza films who's this big tall guy with a really gruff voice, classic Yakuza voice, who's in Ichi the Killer and I know he's in at least one other Takashi Mike film, but it escapes me right now. Excuse me. But uh yeah, I got this two, three months
1: ago, three or four months ago at this point. Yeah, and you kept telling me about like bro, we need to watch it, we need to watch it. Yeah,
0: well we were going to watch it together and then enough time passed I was like, screw it, I'm watching it by myself
1: and wasn't that the one that you brought it over my house one night and opened up the case and it wasn't there? No, that was Evil Dead Trap. Was it Evil Dead yeah, Trap, which is
0: part of the same box set? Yeah, that was the night that we watched Guts of a Virgin and Guts of uh,
1: a Beautiful Woman. Which, if you're horny, check those out because yeah, they are a lot of fun.
0: <laughs> so yeah, this is part of a Synapse like four box set that I got, um, I think on eBay, and yeah, it was it was worth the money. It's like really good trash evil dead trap is another one of my like favorite recent picks that's just like <sighs> ridiculous but really like satisfying yeah really fun and this so anyways we're, we're talking everything about the movie uh besides the movie rather extreme gore and violence i mean it is it is pretty dang graphic but it's presented in that classic japanese especially like mid-90s feeling kind of a film where you've got funky and sort of ambient electronic soundtrack so like for all of the brutalness there's always this like sort of like I'm kind of doing club drugs vibe (laughs) and then you know lots of unemotional camera work and film editing so you see the horrors unfold but it's in such a passive observer kind of a way it doesn't feel often like they're trying to gross you out or it's not trying to emphasize the grossness. It just... It was, just is. Yeah, so... I liked it a lot when I first watched it. I liked it just as much the second time and was able to understand it a little better because it does kind of get confusing. Especially the first, like, 20 minutes are... They're just... It's not explained well
1: what's happening. Um, so... Well, that might have been on purpose. I, I very yeah. much enjoyed the movie. Uh, we've been watching a lot of Japanese... I get... I don't know I guess gore flicks just Japanese stuff that has blood in it yeah a lot of a lot of, a it lot of well it's
0: I mean Aero Goro stuff basically
1: yeah yeah the, you know what this was very Aero Goro yeah to an extreme actually yeah. and we did an episode on that so please go back and listen to that it's a fun episode
0: yeah audio quality's a bit rough but yeah whatever I, I forget I just re-listened to it actually the other day and I said some pretty awful stuff in there somewhere I think there's some like highly racist content but did you? Maybe, I don't know. It was definitely, it was definitely my editing style has gotten a lot better. <laughs> there, There's a lot of it wasn't even racism, it was just we we wound up talking about a lot of side shit which we're doing now, obviously, but anyway,
1: yeah, it really went off into some tangents, but Well, we're tangent of the podcast. But this movie, we'll talk about this movie then. Yeah. Uh, this movie the character acting was very good. Um, I had I always have to watch a Japanese thing a few times. Get the names. To get the names, but yeah. the one doctor guy with the butterflies. Yeah. He had this ability to go from like extreme vile creep to I'm just a normal teacher guy, and everything's fine, and I seem like a caring, nice dude. And I, for a movie that's like this, that was very nice to see. Let's yeah. say, because some 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 acting in some of these movies can be subpar, in the. Lower budget stuff.
0: Yeah, well, it was interesting because one of the other films I picked up and watched in the past six months that was a cult 90s Japanese film was Rubber's Lover, which I really enjoyed. But the acting in that is primarily people either gibbering or screaming or gibbering and screaming or just like like <laughs> like that's you only get those you know sort of ranges and this movie actually had some proper acting it wasn't everything wasn't at 11 all the time as far as the acting goes which a lot of japanese movies do so that was nice i do agree and i think what's one of the things i really like about the film is it keeps a consistently disgusting atmosphere
1: oh 100 with
0: with an element of like not even cyberpunk but just like industrial punk or something it's like crusty in a certain kind of way there's a lot of burned out industrial type stuff and then the last half an hour has a very much 90s and 80s yakuza film feel where it turns yeah. into this like
1: blood ultra bath.
0: nihilistic bloodbath yeah. and it's fucking awesome for it and so. honestly
1: as as far as like a lot of the Garo films that we watch this has much more it, it felt like it has much more of a through line as far as storyline There are some stuff that's out there, but it's out there for a reason. It's not just for, like, the art of the shot. It's, like, some of the weird shit you see in it makes sense once you kind of put everything together. Yeah. It's interesting because a lot of the reviews I read after the fact
0: talked about how, oh, splatter films lose their lore after 20 minutes, and then you're just left with, like, grossness for the next hour and a half, and this, that, and the other, and all these complaints that are people looking for the movie to be a different kind of movie than it is. And it's just one of those classic where it's got a very niche appeal and people are going to bitch about it not being something different. And it's like, don't watch it. I mean, it's it's the same shit that people bitch about Kijuku of. This goes nowhere and then suddenly it's extreme torture porn and blah. And I'm like, you're missing the whole
1: fucking point. Like, Well, okay, so here's my thing as far as, especially like this film and this genre of film, I'm not a big torture porn guy. I didn't like the hostile movies or anything like that. I don't watch a lot of films like that. Sure. Um, Because there's no real purpose. But, yeah, a lot of these movies that we watch, and even this one, can get very extensive with the gore, but it's there for a purpose. It's not just thrown in there to steal some screen time.
0: Yeah, I think that it's sort of a, a mixture of Kind of an extreme theater aspect in it generally and kei fujiwara being from the theater before like experimental japanese theater before she was a that makes an actress and director you can see that and i think especially the way they do the makeup has that sort of aspect to it and it's not about it's not like it's not ultra realistic there's an artisticness no. to the gore and to the styling of it that i think allows it to be more than what it is in that sense and they always have some vague philosophical stuff and a lot of the dialogue turns into like kind of heavy-handed um references to life and death and rebirth and the purpose and all that kind of things which i like that happens with a lot of japanese stuff yeah especially yeah no i i mean i don't disagree and it didn't it does not bother me in the least here i really love the score of it i want to mention that it's by a group called video rodeo
1: and it's phenomenal yeah if
0: anybody can find any information about this actually having an existing physical score please let me know because i'm dying to spend way too much money on it and I may just make my own bootleg version by recording the audio from the film and then chopping it up into sort of a CD album for myself. So I'm serious. I really, Five second clips at a time. Yeah, there's uh, and there's this. The last thing I'll say on the film is there's a scene with this cocoon that's so good. It's it is about very good. halfway in, and it's definitely. It's probably before that. I think it's more like 30 minutes in. It's an early highlight to the film, and really is one of the few times where I think it kicks above and beyond where it's at for the majority of it i agree but definitely recommend if you have watched kichiku Dainkai*, kai especially if you listen to our halloween episode last year where we reviewed our top 10 horror films our top five each i guess it was yes that was i think my number one or number two and i guess yeah it was number two because yeah we both no, it was number it five we but, both ended on the shining yeah yeah and um You know i'd recommend that or if you've ever seen the all night long series it definitely has some stuff it's both in the time of when it was shot and just feeling really kind of hits and that same kind of real gritty grimy vibe so if you like it nasty check it out you can still get it pretty reasonable on dvd i don't think there's a blu-ray coming anytime soon if ever and uh it's an interesting piece of japanese indie film history there's also a follow-up that started as just organ 2 but then morphed into a movie called id that i think is based partially on an eduardo rompo novel who is wrote the basis for horrors of malformed men and a bunch of other famous that movie screwed no that was a different guy um but there's a trailer for it on this dvd and i Almost bought the movie on the strength of this film, it, but it looks way weirder and way more tons of like voyeur aspects to it, and then it's it's it seems like a real trip. So
1: yeah, if if you're looking to get into some Japanese horror, and you're like me, because I'm not I'm not big into Japanese ghost story stuff. It, it's not my shtick. What? Oh, you mean modern Japanese ghost story yeah. stuff? Okay. Um, and it took me a while to really get into like more like find that niche of. Japanese gore and and you know their I don't want to say Renaissance but like their era of like good horror and stuff with that with a lot of blood in it. This is a pretty good place to start because uh, some of them can get really crazy and out there. And uh, this one's I think
0: this is kind of on the extreme. I say Evil Dead Trap was a way easier shoe. Yeah, than this.
1: yeah, no, I could agree with that. But I don't know. This had a very clean through line for me personally. Yeah,
0: I definitely think if you're into if you want to check out. Good non ghost story Japanese horror. You're looking at like eighty five to ninety five is your primo yeah. window because basically what a lot of it is is sort of, it's it is that Arrow Goro aspect to it. A lot of it has like sort of like rough pink film stuff, but it, they're no longer just like half pink films like that's in there, but they're, it, yeah. It, anyways, we'll 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 delve more into this. I'm sure in the future. Probably. So, so yeah, that's our move. Well, rating. Uh, I'd give it a solid 8 out of 10. Yeah, I think I'd be there. I mean, there's nothing I really didn't thoroughly enjoy, and I almost want to give it a higher rating just for the score alone, but it's... I don't... I Yeah, I really like it, and I would watch it again many times in the future, for sure. So you going to give it a rating? Yeah, 8. Okay. I agree. alright, yeah. nice. Yeah, so anyways we're back on that carcass grind now so welcome welcome back so we uh i want to clean up a couple things from the last episode just a handful of details so the first thing i want to say is i may have said this in the regard to the symphonies of sickness and ben you can let me know one way or the other but i wanted to mention when i read the interview with the band recently from decibel when they inducted symphonies of sickness into the hall of fame which is their second album uh, they talked specifically about the fact that the solos on that album were named, and Jeff Walker and Bill Sear talked about how they ripped that off from Macabre's Grim Reality album. Macabre was uh, an early proto-death metal band from, I believe, Chicago, who were one of the first bands to really like delve heavy into serial killer-related stuff. Basically, all their songs are about that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like if Last Podcast did really sleazy death metal, like that type of kind of deep knowledge and so they named their solos on that album which is a pretty small album and has been reissued many times since and they did it as a nod and an ode to that and then they carried that into Necroticism their third album and then as as far as i know they dropped that entirely after those albums and when they kind of switched gears into Yeah, I don't think you mentioned that. Yeah, so i really i when i read the interview i thought oh that's really interesting. That cause is I, really cool. Yeah, and they're like it'll be the solos are like, you know, rotten flesh, whatever. But, you know, they're like just as gross as everything yeah. else. It's it's really good. So uh, the other thing I was going to say, and I mentioned this at the end of our last episode, tonight we're going to be playing some tracks uh, along with the episode, unlike last time. Uh, if Carcass or Earache want me to remove them, shoot us a message and we'll we'll do that. But we're going to just include some clips for reference because I think a lot of people have heard that earlier era of Carcass. So i'm not as worried about it and plus the episodes already up. i'm not fucking going back <laughs> but uh i want to i want to kind of throw some stuff in here and talk about that so we left off um at the end of the 92 era necroticism had come out or i guess it was 91 yeah 91 and so after the necroticism they released an ep called tools of the trade and every song is a reference to to a home improvement episode right exactly so I, I don't even know if Home Improvement was out in 92. It probably sounds like it was. I'm not going to look it up. Yeah, I'm not going to look it up either. But anyways, Tools of the Trade came out June 23rd, 1992 on Relapse Records. And basically, it's it follows up on the style and sound of Necroticism, but the songs are all on the short side, comparatively, except for the last one, which is a re-recording of a comp track called Hepatic Tissue Fermentation 2. And then there is... The third song on it is a remake of an older song from Reek of Putrefaction called Piosified, Still Rotten to the Gore. And Mm. then you've got Incarnated Solvent Abuse, which is one of the best songs from Necroticism, and Tools of the Trade, which starts it off. And it's still very much of the death metal with like weird... It's so hard to call them progressive or technical because they don't mean what those words mean is related to death metal today, but like progressive and technical elements for that time. Yeah. Well, and for that style of that time and, but they're all shortened up and that's like very much a precursor to what's going to happen with hard work. So they tour for the album, they tour for necroticism rather than they release tools of the trade. I don't have the EP as a standalone. I have it on the reissue uh double cd that i have that's got the tools of the trade on the one and then it's got or it's got the cd and the dvd it's got the part of the pathologist report uh is with that and those tracks are solid but i hate having them on that cd as a combination like i split them up in separate things on my uh, computer because they work fine as far as like coming after cuz they're of the same style but right. But that album is a complete and total package. And by the time the last song ends, you know, the Sanguine article That's like, the
1: end of the album. Yeah,
0: and you've heard that. I showed you that yep. song so many like mm-hmm. the way like you can't then have a song after that. Yeah, no. Like it it closes it. It's like that's fucking, the end of
1: your encore. That's not right before it. Yeah.
0: So uh, you know, it's it's like so many of these, especially Earache and other labels like this, lots of good bands released like one or two EPs in their whole careers and they wind up getting shoehorned down the line. They never fucking repress the EPs alone, which drives me nuts. And it's like the EP is its own complete statement. It doesn't need to be on a disc with other shit, you know, and you could make more money cause you could sell both. So I don't understand, but I guess for the glutton consumer, that's, that's <sighs> us. We are the glutton consumer. So, and the next thing I'm going to say, as far as the rest of this episode goes... Now, I finished the pathologist report uh, in order to complete the research for this episode. I read some other interviews and watched some more recent interviews because the pathologist report... I think it was like 2004, maybe it was done, 2003. I can't remember offhand. But it was years before the release of Surgical Steel. Okay, And so there was no like prospect of them getting back together or recording a new album or anything like that. And even as the DVD, it's, it's so funny as the documentary goes along, like their excitement about talking about the band and talking about what happens like dims as, (laughs) as their career comes and it ends with Swan song, but you know, the story obviously doesn't end there, but it's interesting because you get so much footage and so much happy conversation about the days of symphony of sickness especially like those formative eras like there's just so much to say and it was it was so cool to see all this old tour footage and then once they hit Heartwork, it's just like they talk about the album and i got a lot less information about what was happening around then so in that way this episode may be shorter and i have less details to offer and there wasn't really a lot of information out there that filled in those gaps that wasn't already talked about in the dvd right. So Hard Work was released on October 18th, 1993 on ERA, CD, cassette, LP, etc. It peaked in UK at 67, in USA at 104, and in Sweden at 26. It sold over 64,000 copies in the United States and 10,000 in the UK. And Hard Work is, in my opinion, more divisive of an album than I mean other than Swan song which barely counts but this is basically where there is a huge like gap between a lot of fans which I don't have personally because this was one of the first carcass albums I ever got and it was th- the title track is the first song I ever heard by carcass right so I have good memories attached to it largely but it marked a departure that was bigger than anything else each album they evolved they went from that really rough early sound of reek of putrefaction to like a cleaned up and more together version of that on symphonies of sickness. And then they took this huge leap forward in my opinion in necroticism, which was so much more complicated and so much more polished. And you had these extremely intricate and interesting songs, but like we're losing some of the, with the cleanness, you also lost some of like that ragged, wet putrid sewer monster energy that those first two records have. Which was fine because it was still like so, it was such a masterpiece of like interesting, like just every song had its own thing, like no song sounded alike, every song was perfect, incredible album, and then you get Heartwork, which each song definitely has its own vibe, but the production in some ways is incredible, but also slightly doesn't,
1: doesn't scratch the same itch
0: well it, it's just it's a very different because basically what we have is the template for so many melodic death metal bands that would come out of sweden and the united states in the years to come and mostly like several years down the line from its release in 93 we're talking like five years or more and it's a huge influence on all the awful, awful, barely even metalcore. You <laughs> sent me that Avenged Sevenfold meme. <laughs> That's, this album is Fucking responsible for shit like that. No, like, don't, yeah, yeah. Don't. And so it, it's very interesting because it's like the songs are way... Like, every song is concise. I think, like, you know, five minutes. I don't think there's anything longer than... Or over six minutes on the album, if memory serves me. And, you know, there's a an increased focus on melodics on on solos on this like guitar oriented sound and you only have bill steers raspy vocals which are closer to more traditional vocals and less
1: like bellowing indistinguishable that's definitely from what you've showed me yes that's 100 percent true yeah
0: so it's interesting because basically they they talk about in the documentary so a ton of people shit all over michael Amott because he went he left carcass um and then had formed spiritual beggars which is like a stoner rock band but then went on to do arch enemy which is one of the most famous melodic death metal bands of like the second generation and on par within flames is in, in terms of fame although i guess hypothetically consistently better but um so people here arch enemy and are like well he just never stopped doing what he did in heart work and he brought all this melodic aspect to like the band that was never that melodic and we hate him for it or whatever and basically it's very interesting in the interview because some of the interviews are with michael amott but a lot of them aren't and they're cutting between all these different <laughs> ones and their level of kindness about it kind of changes but essentially between the the rest of the band the ken and and uh jeff and Bill and Michael himself, they all say like basically a lot of times Michael gets too much credit for his influence in where this album went. And yeah, and that's that's kind of it. Or like some people say he doesn't get enough credit, but it's it's neither. Like basically he's like, I did some stuff, but and this album wouldn't have been the same without him. But it wasn't like they turned into a melodic death metal band right. because of Michael Lamont. And essentially they said leading into the album they were very influenced by Queensreich and King Diamond and those types of bands that had this incredible guitar sounds and they said, like, why can't we do this? Like we they they struggled like crazy recording necroticism trying to get the guitar sound that they got, and they wanted something better. And so the guitar sound, I mean, you heard it. We listened to heartwork, we watched the video for heartwork and we listened to Buried Dreams. It's fucking nasty. Yeah, like it's, it's really good. Yeah, it's 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 an extremely awesome guitar sound and um basically it came from a couple things they demoed the entire album and they did it in a different studio than where the final album was recorded and there they got this incredible guitar sound that they were thrilled with and they did it by double tracking all the riffs so bill steer would do it and then he would just play it all again and then they would just play those same recordings that were basically the same together to make it twice as fat and then michael Lamott would do And they had um, specific amps for the left channel, and then specific amps for the right channel. And so, yeah, and basically, I think it was essentially, Bill Steer did all of the demo recording. I don't know that Michael Amott was much involved with that, and, or at least a little bit. It's it's kind of unclear, even based on the band's own telling of their history, but they so it was like. For one riff, you had four times the guitar tracking for it. And now they did this like 12 times over on Necroticism. Like they super beefed out on that, which is partially why they were like, we're not doing that shit. We're not tracking the guitar 12 times over for a single fucking riff. But they got this incredibly beefy sound. And then when they demoed the album to Earache, the whole thing, they were like, yeah, we're good. And they sent him to a proper studio and they could not replicate the sound all of a sudden and spent three days trying to find their guitar tone, which was like a whole big pain in the ass. And part of what happened was basically leading into the recording of the album, Michael Lamott was kind of getting tired of it and of being in the band of like, he was an official member, but it's like, wasn't his band in their right. origins. And apparently he lost his passport in Israel it sounds like I couldn't exactly understand the story but he either left it like they wouldn't let him out of Israel or he lost it in Israel and he couldn't get home because of it and so for the majority of the writing and recording of the album he was stuck in it Israel there, yeah. yeah. so he definitely recorded his leads that he's credited with on the album and he helped write a couple of the songs but there's sort of a mixture of stories about he was unhappy with some of how some of the riffs were going with it and like how they were treating some of his writing. And essentially he came in recorded his solos and was, and recorded some of his rhythm stuff and was basically done with carcass at that point. And their manager was talking with him and he was saying like, Oh, you know, I've started my, this spiritual beggars band in Sweden. And I kind of want to like do that thing. And the manager was like, well, you should maybe go do that. And then he told Bill Steer and Jeff Walker and Jeff Walker got all pissed off and was like, well then fuck him. He's out. And so basically they would like gave him the excuse to leave and then and and he michael Lamott had said to the manager like i just want to tour for this album make some money and then go home and do my own thing and they heard that and were like then you're not coming on tour with us and kicked him out fuck they, you
1: man go start your spiritual stoner uh, band yeah. <laughs> so so it's it's
0: somewhere in that and essentially like they all kind of dance around it but basically like he started to get other interests and also like thought i'm never gonna get famous Or wealthy doing this kind of music But if I do some like chiller shit Like I could get some mainstream success And like turn this more into a career And That's kind of what he did And I read this after the fact That apparently uh, Based on the sound of Heartwork And Michael Amott's work With the band This Japanese label offered him a record deal If he would form a band That sounded like what he did in Heartwork And that's why he started Arch Enemy.
1: Wow. Yeah. And so like,
0: (laughs) I was like, holy shit. So, and I, I don't find him to be a particularly good lyricist. And uh, I don't know if he writes the lyrics. I don't know what the story is with Arch Enemy's lyrics, but like, they're basically, they're generally like all that kind of like, stand up for yourself, like be independent. It's all this sort of like sloganeering
1: punk rock. Teenage bullshit. It's, it's even more so, like, more, like, pop-punk type shit. Yeah,
0: but, like, all set to melodic death metal, yeah. and it's just never been uh, my Yeah, thing.
1: I'm not personally a fan of, of Arch Enemy. I never have been. Yeah, it's a stupid fucking name. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty bad name. Especially when you used to be in a band named Carcass. Yeah. So. So, yeah, so all
0: that's kind of happening around this whole Carcass thing, or, I mean, Heartwork thing. And... Uh, they, they talked a little bit about they had some influence from Metallica's black album, but they recorded the album in Par Street Studios between uh, the eighteenth of May ninety three and the twenty first in June of ninety three. So over a month it took them of recording. They worked again with Colin Richardson who had been their house engineer for Symphonies of Sickness, that basically like turned them into the you know turn that album into what it was and then he again worked with him in necroticism they worked with him all the way through until surgical steel and they record it and i want to just mention a quick couple of trivia facts that i learned about that so the first one is the uh, first track on the album is called buried dreams and they took that title from john wayne gacy's book which i didn't know which i thought was cool i didn't know that cool yeah yeah so, uh, and basically the lyrics of the song are all a play on all you need is love. And instead it's like, all you need is bitterness to survive in this world and whatever. And it's like kind of cheesy, but like, all you need is bitterness yeah, and doesn't really roll off the tongue. <laughs> so, and, and, um, Jeff Walker talks about, he was, uh, sick of doing the sort of death metal gore oriented shit and started to move into more of like a punk rock influenced lyrical style and at this point was the only one writing lyrics and the only one doing vocals and so he just kind of went with that and the tracks have like he said like some of it's like fascististic not in its message but like in its imagery and there's there's just like more of a political aspect to it or like a social type of thing which i hate i mean on the whole it works for the album because it never gets like too sloganeery, but i hate that shit it's why i never liked punk music like yeah. you know i it only works with extreme right-wing music for me because there's this connotation that goes with it that uh-huh yeah makes, no go ahead <laughs> it just makes sense in that context but like when i listen what, to nine, what, do, you,
1: what do you what do you mean by extreme right uh, it doesn't matter we'll get into it in a different <laughs> episode but um
0: you know it it's funny you hear it the li- like the lyrics don't it's very different than what they did before, but it's still the types of imagery to a point still sort of mesh, so right. I don't find it to be uh that jarring oh they mentioned so I mentioned the amps before it's the five one five zero amp that came out that had loads of bass in the guitar sound that really like made this album what it was, apparently. I mentioned that they worked with Colin Richardson again, they were worried that uh he was at this point working with like softer bands and he wasn't going to be able to hack it for their stuff and they said as much and he was basically like fuck you i'll show you and then like produced a killer album for them but drug it out for over a month so <laughs> they were kind of miserable with that so i'll talk about two more things as it relates to artwork. work so uh first is that the artwork was done is it, so it's a photograph of a sculpture by h.r geiger mm-hmm. have you seen it yes if i showed it to you it's like the cross yes. and well, the it's, bones. It's, it's
1: like a. Peace symbol yeah 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 yeah
0: Yeah. so apparently uh jeff walker was friends with a woman who was friends with hr Giger's girlfriend slash wife whatever it was and they were interested i guess it's unclear but it sounds like they were interested in using that specific piece and he was just in the process or had just completed recasting it and so they didn't have a lot of money but they asked him if they could use it and he said yeah, and gave him some kind of discount because they were friends of a friend. And so they went... It's not my
1: favorite. There's not enough penises. Yeah,
0: yeah. so it was, uh, it was some piece that he did back in the 60s, actually. And they didn't meet him at that time, but when they later were on tour and went through Switzerland, they got to stay with him and were explaining his workshop is like two houses smashed together basically it's like yeah
1: have you ever seen dark star i think that's the name of the documentary there's a documentary about him
0: okay that his
1: house is fucking crazy yeah
0: and they said he's like pretty eccentric guy
1: yeah Yeah. he's pretty weird but also pretty chill yeah and that 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 piece i'd actually recognize it when you when you showed me the um album artwork it's very simple for Geiger. Yeah, very simple. Very yeah, it's, it's early Geiger. Yeah, it's very early. So it's I mean
0: it's pre his Alien and Necronomicon phase and all that stuff. So yeah, it's so funny because I used to have it the the version of this CD I have. So and I'll I'll end with this. I'll come back to that. Remind me. So they do two American tours for the album, and at this point, Michael Lamont has dropped out. So first they get Mike Hickey uh, to join for the tour and when they go on there like originally they had great times touring in the usa i think i talked about it last episode it was like they got to do that early on they got incredible reception it was like we made it big already because we're big in the usa and they come out on this album and bill steers talking about like they go and like there's more people than ever but basically everybody would talk and them like oh it's great yeah blah, blah blah but like and then you're, you're, new album's pretty good, yeah. And then they like, I'd hear him like walking off, be like, actually, new album fucking sucks. He <laughs> <laughs> like, was like, yeah, people were not thrilled. They were like, why did you stop doing grindcore? Why'd you stop doing this? Like, you know. And it, it's interesting because they kept. They keep talking the grind in the documentary how they're not a grindcore band, but like they went on a tour called the Gods of Grind, which I'm sure they didn't pick the name.
1: Yeah, no, but, but it's still. like
0: their, their association with grindcore will. Everyone never... Everyone knows it, but you. Yeah, right. Like, will never end. And apparently, like the I mean, they did two tours back to back, essentially. So they couldn't have been doing too shitty of a job overall. But they said like it felt like everybody hated the new album, and Bill Steer said that. For him, it was extremely disappointing because it was the first time he had ever walked away from an album feeling like they had done 100% everything perfect. They really gave it. Yeah, like it was just like he was... And the way he talks about it in the documentary versus the way he talks about it in more recent interviews, it's interesting because he's like very hot on it, I think, in the documentary more so. But it's also clear that the band was already sort of kind of in trouble and that memory is tainted because of that because of where they wound up after shortly thereafter hard work and uh, Jeff Walker says that he loves it but for the fact that they he wishes Bill Steer had done his low growls on it and he wished the bass was bumped up
1: being the bass player. <laughs>
0: yeah. And he says basically all the Carcass albums should have had louder bass. And I he, mean,
1: like, if all of these albums had I louder don't disagree. bass, it would have been so much better. I love bass guitar,
0: so, like, I think any album that's recorded with a higher-up bass guitar is better than any other, which is why Bolt Thrower is one of my favorite bands because their bass guitar tone is gnarly and always audible. And it's also why Catarsis from Germany is, like, one of the only black metal bands that has like a literally crunching gravel sounding fucking bass sound and it's really nice so so they do that first tour they do it with mike Kiki as the replacement for michael amott he's a good guitar player but he's kind of tough to be around and he gets it in his head during the tour that he's going to be invited to record on their next album and everybody's basically like
1: no and so i'm so good at this jeff- they are gonna bring me home they'll be like you're the best guitarist ever you should be on our next album yeah
0: and so jeff walker's talking about how like on one of the drives between cities he's trying to break it to him for like eight hours how he's not gonna be and he's just not getting it and so
1: when they you imagine being on that bus and be like yeah man i really can't be like I, I can't wait to be on the next album it's gonna be so good you you guys are you guys are the best man has anybody got five dollars i can borrow but yeah you guys are so good like yeah so the, when they eventually the
0: manager broke it to him that like that wasn't happening he did not he declined to come back for the next tour and uh continue yeah, i wonder play. why yeah, continued to play live with the band they also talked about that despite all this frosty reception and this that, and the other it was the first time that they had money behind them for a tour so they had proper tour buses they had caterers that came with them and they had, um, like, their gear in a back van. They weren't all just, like, piled into one RV forever. And they were... So Bill and Jeff were both vegan at the time, and Ken was vegetarian. Aww. Which they were from the beginning. So, I and again, I think egregious misstep on my part. I don't think I mentioned this at all in the first episode.
1: How much you hate vegans?
0: No, how this band has always... Like, that was always a big thing for them. From day one, they were, like, hardcore vegan vegetarian. And they so their career their original career is only from 86 to 96 and basically the entirety of that career that's that's how they were and it was an important thing for them and so like to have caterers on tour was huge because they could make them meals that were vegan or vegetarian and also like have food when they wanted to have food especially than,
1: in America in the 90s yeah
0: well they said apparently Germany was the hardest place the Germans just didn't understand the concept that of makes, not eating that meat. makes sense yeah
1: so what do you mean you don't want sausage I don't understand you want more sausage duh, duh. you need right, more meat I mean, and sausage yeah 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 but uh and the other thing that
0: was funny was Ken Owen was talking about like it was always a really difficult thing to eat enough so he had energy for a show but especially for him not too much because he'd wind up puking because like all that physical engagement being the drummer will, you know, which makes sense because I always have this issue when I play live. You don't want to have, get the nerves. It's all core, bro. Yeah. So that happens. They go on a second tour with Carlo uh, Regadas, who apparently declined to be interviewed for the documentary, but was their guitar tech. And Bill Steer was like, dude, I really like this guy. I think he can really play. And he was invited to play on Swan Song and stuck around. And like, they really enjoyed it and they said like Mike Hickey was really good and brought a ton of enthusiasm to the band when like enthusiasm was scarce because Michael Lamont had left and everything was looking kind of grim and a lot of people hated the new album yeah but Carlo was really good too and like they gelled with him a lot better it's like not just about being a proficient guitar player but like being a band member is working with the rest of the mm-hmm. band and the personalities and all that shit so just to sort of reiterate as the last bit on heart work, it The reception was mixed when it came out critically a lot of people said it was amazing a lot of people said what the fuck happened but they were carcass themselves were less concerned about necessarily trying to be mainstream but were just trying to refine their sound and from their perspective they're like we've been reinventing our sound every album like why is this such a big deal why is this so different than anything else we've done right but it's it's less heavy and it's more melodic and they were like well if Metallica can do this with the Black Album like what's the problem with us but of course I mean Metallica's Injustice for All was the height of their technicality and all that and Black Album is like will always be in the shadow of their first four thrash albums to me and I think a lot of Metallica fans but there are many many people who worship that album and say it's like the greatest hard rock album of all time and they didn't go full hard rock on that they're gonna wait to do that for this next album Swan Song but it it definitely was divisive, as I said. And now, in retrospect, tons of publications and so many bands have claimed its influence. It's funny, because Bill Steer says, like, yeah, everybody says that we influenced them, but, like, I listen to their music, and I'm like, this is fucking trash. Like, how do we <laughs> influence you? We play really well. And,
1: you guys sound like garbage. Yeah, and I was
0: like, damn, that's harsh. But, like, I could also understand that, how, like, every Tom, Dick, and Harry who says, like, oh, Carcass was a big influence, and they sound like shit. You're like, oh, great. Like, thanks for name-checking me but uh you know there's a lot of publications you, you can look at it from a music history or like a metal history standpoint and say like yeah clearly this codified a lot of what was gonna we were gonna hear basically us growing up was like that was the big mellow death boom yeah that's you true. know and at the gates was the other one and this is what i was going to come back to this was the first carcass album i got along with symphonies of sickness and i i think i spoke about this a little bit briefly before. yeah yeah, so I got this when I was 16, and I didn't know any better. I didn't know what I was missing on a carotism. And this was a hell of a lot easier to get into than Symphonies of Sickness. And the first carcass song I ever heard was Heartwork. And so I fucking love this album from day one. And again, no understanding of like playing music or music theory or any of that stuff. I was just like, these guitars sound sick. Mm-hmm. Every solo is fucking insane, which, This
1: sounds fun. This guy's scream sounds fun. Yeah,
0: I should have probably said from the beginning, you know, if you want to talk about hard work, you can shit on it all day, but, like, the solos are disgusting. And they're really, like, so well done because they fit into the songs. They're not just, like...
1: They're not thrown in there just to have a guitar solo. And they're
0: not super fast, but, like, with no... Like, no soul behind them. They're, like, very... They have, like, a real virtuoso aspect. Cause at this point, Michael Lamont and Bill Steer were like killer guitar players, just like no question. So we talked about the solos. Yes. I'm gonna show you one of the solos from This Mortal Coil. Okay. Both sitting here with yeah. boners. I'm rigid, right? And sticky. Fucking sick, right? Yeah.
1: Well, let me ask you a question. Sure. So you think if this was Carcass's first album, people would look at it differently than they do now, since their older stuff was more like grindy and nas melodic?
0: Yeah, I mean, if
1: if any band came out swinging
0: with this is their first album i mean it's different because like today now everybody has unlimited points of references to then like like practice 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 and put out like a killer extreme metal album from the get but like this was a band that was in the infancy of extreme metal or pretty close to it and so they talk about it like there was not like it's not a career choice like it is now to go into extreme metal so they were just like trying to find their thing and if they had started as this and then i mean if they had gone the other way if they'd gone from melodic to increasingly disgusting right they would be they would be celebrated as much i think because like that would be an extremely interesting arc and that shit will always have its fans but i think it's impossible to really gauge the reception other than to say if this was their first and only ever album like, it definitely would stand out and stand the test of time. I mean, it couldn't come out today and do that because no. it's wouldn't make sense. I mean, it would be like, melt the time space continuum. But if it was to come out, like, if they had never done an album before this and it came out in 93, it would have been a big fucking deal in 93. And it would have probably gotten a much better reception because nobody would have had the things to think of, the reference points. And I, it is impossible to listen to any band and not reference their other parts right. of their band. But. For me it's very easy to say car or heartwork is a specific style it's a specific template and they fucking crush it for what they're trying to accomplish and those songs are all like really good they're they're more repetitive which i don't like but they're shorter so they don't they don't get old and for any time like it a little bit doesn't do it for me like a lot of people love no love lost i think that song's a little overly repetitive but then there's death certificate and blind leading the blind and um. Oh fuck! What is the one? Oh, it's the sixth song. I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head. And this Mortal Coil is like fucking amazing. Like every every even numbered song on this album, Carnal Forge, Heartwork, This Mortal Coil, Blind Bleeding the Blind, Death Certificate, are just like you put those five songs together and like they're bangers. Yeah, they're they're absolute <laughs> bangers. They are fucking outrageous bangers. Like it's. Quite good. And if you're, like, too cool to enjoy, like, the well-played music on this album, like, fuck you. Like, just fuck off. Like, you're you're a jackass. That takes us to Swan Song, the band's last album. Uh, it was not preemptively named Swan Song, although... Uh, well, I mean, its name is obvious. They had broken up before the album was released, and they didn't have anything else to really particularly call it, and it was their Swan Song. Yeah. So it was a really shitty, easy title, but... Accurate nonetheless, released June 10th, 1996, recorded from February 1995 to April 1995, so they spent even longer in the studio on this one. It was recorded in Rockfield Studios, again produced by Colin Richardson. So like I said, it's a three month recording process or two and a half, whatever it is. The band describes it as a stripped down rock album, which is basically, it's it's more than just a hard rock album. But really, it's one of those where the vocals are the only thing that kind of distinguish it from like some of the heaviest, hardest rock.
1: Yes, 100%.
0: And being a hard rock band is not a bad thing. It just is problematic when you got your fame from being a death metal band or a whatever they want to call themselves at that point. But like an extreme metal band and you turn into hard rock. I don't know. I feel like Metallica had that issue. Except for Metallica was like doing arena tours when Carcass was, they were still in middle school and Metallica was a rock. They were rock stars. Yeah. You know, the, in the most literal. Sense. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so again, like this is, it's on the heels of bands like Metallica changing their sound, but without the sort of fan base or understanding and having always been more extreme from the get than a band like Metallica. So the change seems so dramatic. I just showed you rotting in the free world which is undoubtedly a pretty good
1: song. Yeah, it's a good song. It's a solid track. But like I mentioned to you, if you showed me the song and did not tell me who it was, I would be like, "Oh, this is good. It's probably isn't Carcass though, right?" And you would be like, "No, this that's is Carcass. Carcass." Yeah. So, the the band talk about
0: it a lot in the documentary. For them it was the refinement, the ultimate refinement of what they had always kind of set out to do. I think that's a little bit of rewriting history to fit a narrative that doesn't really exist but i do believe that they are always trying to refine and get to the next place and this is sort of where it took them and again that's not a bad thing in and of itself they sometimes it's labeled as a death and roll album which is sort of a relatively short-lived thing but happened to a lot of bands in the mid-90s and entombed in my opinion are the best at ever doing it their third album wolverine blues was a similar like what the fuck happened but wolverine blues totally rules it's part of it i think is because they're scandinavian they're able to get away with like writing some seriously dumb shit lyrics but like the intent is fucking sick and and full of hell is like always it's like what does he say is like I've got a heart like a graveyard. They're dying to get in. Yeah,
1: that's retarded. It's like, but it's, it's also really fucking fucking good. awesome.
0: Yeah, like I, I've I have been very drunk and screamed that. I've been very sober and screamed that out my
1: window at like people. And unfortunately, it's also something that somebody who's drunk in the middle of the afternoon goes to a tattoo parlor to get tattooed on them. I'm so lucky
0: I haven't done that yet, yep. and that's just a relapse away. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but. But the,
0: I think the thing that for me kills Swan Song before I go into more of the history of it and just preemptively. Like, and to say, so I only listened to this album for the first time a few months ago. When I decided to do this episode or even had the inkling, I was like, i got to listen to the whole discography. And I went into it like wanting to enjoy it for what it was. And like I'm so far removed from the 20-year-ago controversy that I don't have to be upset and expect something different. And instrumentally, the album is like solid. There's no question that these guys know what they're doing, but it's not a question of their ability to play or even the production style, which I like a lot and has a lot of beefy low end, but it's they choose to write less complicated songs, which is okay, I can still live with that. Like I still like some hard rock and it's got some like Danzig vibes almost in some places, but the lyrics are fucking trash. Yeah. I really don't like I don't particularly like humor in my music unless it's, like, with scat and shit like that. Like, not scatman, but, like, poo-poo. And that type of scatological humor. And I'm not very big, again, on the political stuff. And it's basically those two things. It, it feels at times like, what's that band... The guy shot himself... Is it not Pearl Jam? Soundgarden. Soundgarden. Or he hung himself, whatever. It it feels like Soundgarden at times in the lyrics, and I am not. You just made me
1: say Soundgarden out loud. (laughs) Yeah. It honestly, I mean, this album sounds a lot more. This is gonna sound like a more of a dig than I want it to, but it sounds like something that was popular with scene kids when we were in high school. Yeah. Like it sounds like something that you'd go to a fucking show, you get money from your mom, and take a train out to fucking Philly to see, and you'd see a bunch of fucking slutty scene girls there. That would be good. Yeah. I think it's
0: I think it's not quite to that level, but it just is it just like I feel like it in the attempt to be something different, like and I think a lot of it's again, it's the same sort of how we look back and say, Oh, horror's dumb or it's like low key, it's low brow, it's not intelligent, whatever I think their lyrics are so much more interesting the wordplay they did in necroticism. Than the kind of shit they were doing here. Like it's just there it's just basic like hard rock writing 101 with the leftist bent. Keep,
1: keep keep on rotting in a free world. Yeah,
0: it's it's dumb. That now that song rules and the and it's like
1: But, but it's named Keep On Rotting. Right, in a free like world. so
0: it's just a little different than like incarnated solvent abuse, which is like about huffing people's bones to get high. Like that may be juvenile in the one sense, but like that's rad. Like Rotting in the free world is dumb, you know? Like, I feel like, is this like a Bill Clinton fucking advert? Like, come on, suck my dick. So, <laughs> but again, we're not, I'm not even trying to shit all over the uh, album at all because it, it's it's just like, I have to, that, that part of it is what's hard for me, is, right. the, is the lyrics and that aspect of it. And, you know, they sort of knew, so the big thing is that Columbia picked them up because they were always free agents they never were signed by earache for a multi-album deal after the success of *Heartwork*, work even despite some of the setbacks it still sold like a big success for them columbia picked up them and a shitload of other metal bands and said like we're gonna make you guys stars and put out albums and then and well, it like, worked yeah right and they they said every other metal band before they got dropped got dropped first And it was like, they would say, oh, we love everything you've done before, but like, we're going to tell you how to do your next album. And they're like, well, we know what we're doing, so we don't need you to. And they started to get really worried because major labels will pick up bands, have them record full albums and then say, we're not releasing this. And then they'll shelve it and then they can never release it. And the same shit happened with like, even in the scene can happen where an artist might actually be signed to like a scene label this specifically happened in relation to Leviathan slash Lurker of Chaos. It was this whole big hullabaloo between Battle Command and Moribund and yada, yada, yada. These things still happen to this day. So they were like, they just made a continual stink until Columbia was like, fine, fuck it. We don't want you anymore.
1: Yeah, well, it's Columbia Records. I mean,
0: yeah. So they got paid they got like all this studio time and they got to make the whole album and they basically had it entirely done. And then they took it to Earache. Uh, or no, they went to Eric and said, we want to do our last album. Eric gave them more money, but they had already recorded the album and done everything, so they used that money to record the first Black Star album, which was the band that, uh Jeff Walker and Ken and started after.
1: Did Eric know? Uh,
0: after the fact, they did. That's <laughs> awesome. That's fucking yeah. awesome. Yeah, I know. It's like, you know, I mean, Eric at this That's point That's metal. Is, yeah. That's pretty metal. Yeah, it's like a pretty big label, so it's kind of like, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't be too upset about that <laughs> when I read that story, so... Um, there apparently was a shitload of tracks recorded like so much cause they had so much money and time and only half of them made it on the album. They've now retroactively said, Oh, we left off some better cuts. We should have put on yada, yada, like whatever it is, whatever, it is, yeah. bro. But yeah, they've got, yeah. So G Voucher, who is from crass, did the artwork. And I think I talked about it a little bit in the beginning of the first episode that Jeff Walker especially was influenced by Crass leading into him joining Carcass, so it was, like, for them coming full circle. Yeah, it's interesting because generally Crass's artwork is interesting at the very least and generally really good. I like that style of that anarcho-British shit from the 70s and 80s. Right. This doesn't come... Like, this feels like a very 90s thing in a bad way. It's kind of weird. Yeah, it's kind of weird, and... The font they use for the swan song thing is like ridiculous <laughs> purple pink. But they basically, they, they knew they were breaking up before the album was over and uh, had essentially broken up by the time it was released. And they, in the interviews, talk about it wasn't really any one person's fault. Part of it was like for 10 years they had been together nonstop recording, touring, playing, whatever, and they all just kind of started to wear on one another and it was a feeling that like there wasn't the love for it anymore. And they also didn't really like know where the hell can we go after this? And so they broke up and Bill talks about for him, especially it was like ending a relationship. He just like couldn't accept it for a long time. Didn't want to talk about it. And then eventually like could accept it, but still didn't want to talk about it. And, you know They have since obviously gone on to perform, but even before that, there was some kinds of bitterness. And then the stuff happens with Ken Owens' Health, which I'm going to get to in a second, uh, which brought them together in some ways. But they just felt like they had nowhere to reinvent themselves to and kind of had said everything they needed to say. And they all went on to be in a couple different bands, which I'll get to as well in a second. But they did... So before I get into the sort of post swan song phase there so there's this sort of phase before they come back for surgical steel so i'm going to quickly run through the long list of shit that comes out after swan song and i'm going to start with so they did a heartwork ep which had two non-album tracks after heartwork i forgot to mention that that's a 94 i've not heard that uh but it looks like from the track titles they're one of them's called like rotten roll so i think it was an indicator of where they were headed with <laughs> swan song type stuff And then there is a Wake Up and Smell the Carcass compilation, which was a live VHS. There was uh, music videos, and then it's like a live tour footage. And then there was Best of Carcass, which is a Japanese compilation. Then there was Choice Cuts in 2004, which was a different compilation but a lot of the same stuff. Then there was the Complete Pathologist Report in 2008, which was a re-release of all of the albums in a big box set that was like you know, very limited and very expensive. Did you get it? No, I don't have any of these expensive items. And then they did some live recording type stuff. And eventually we get to Surgical Steel in 2013. And it's interesting because they talk about... So before we get to Surgical Steel, they they talked about, a, you know, basically post-breakup and during this documentary. It was so surprising to them to have post career been referred to as being so influential and so important and this that and the other like they loved what they did and they were happy with the albums they released some of them more than others into different versions right you know but there was not a clear career path to lifelong success doing this at that time and now like again bands can be successful like have permanent careers as heavy metal guys but they didn't see that as happening and they never thought like twenty years later, God, like I can only imagine what they think of Gore Noise and gore grind now. <laughs> Probably like we can't believe we did this, we're sorry world. Um But yeah, they're they're still sort of they're humble and arrogant in different ways about this shit, which I get. Like and they 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 have played massive Influences on so many different bands. Like, it's just obscene. There's tons of bands that have their, like, you know, their band name is directly just a Carcass song title and all that kind of shit.
1: We're a band. We're named Smelly Carcass. We're directly influenced by Carcass. Right. So,
0: anyway, post-breakup, Star starts with Ken, Jeff, and Carlo. It's, like, essentially that kind of a death and roll and some stonery vibes and whatever. I've only, like, heard snippets. It's just i don't need to go there um jeff walker did a solo album in 2006 called welcome to carcass country cunt it's like see C- country U- yeah, yeah. Eh. cunt yeah um Tree. ken and bill both guest on it as well as members of the band him which
1: like, uh, yeah i can't no. even under-
0: i've never understood Ugh. yeah and did not, had to avoid that one. Bill Steer went on to form the band Firebird, which was a 70s Eric Clapton-style rock band, and then is in a later acoustic duo called Bluebird. Uh, Michael Lamott went uh, into, basically picked up with uh, the stoner rock band Spiritual Beggars that he started, and then did Arch Enemy, and has been in some other bands since that. I can't say I have any interest in any of them, and it's it's, it's fine to do whatever after, but it's one of those things where it's like, it's nice that they didn't, take carcass to these places that they went after the fact like i get being over what you were doing and wanting to do something new but i look at a title like welcome to carcass country and think yeah it's best that you stopped when you (laughs) did like i don't really understand especially in any genre of music those artists who 20 years after they're relevant or 10 years after they're relevant like especially do like cover albums which is what that album is it's like a heavy metal take on some like old country songs and it's like don't just let them that's be. that's what it is yeah yeah so yeah. just yeah you know like just don't don't make the covers album just don't do it nobody wants to hear that shit. like if you're david bowie back in the day and you want to do in peak bowie era albums of covers knock yourself out but like David Bowie is the only one who's all Well, it's David
1: fucking Bowie yeah
0: I think Cat Power has a covers album that's actually good and maybe Juju but otherwise just just, don't, don't don't do it so the last thing before Surgical Steel is Ken Owen's health and why he's not on Surgical Steel so Ken Owen had a massive brain hemorrhage that led to an immediate stroke on February 10th 1999 he talks about He went over to... He was with his wife. He went to pet his cat and then had the fucking brain hemorrhage, like, stroked out. Wakes up in the ambulance and then wakes up and it's nine months later. That's fucking
1: scary. Yeah.
0: So, and he's, like, you know, all fucked up. And he's got, like, brain damage and shit because, you know, it's...
1: Yes, he had a massive stroke.
0: Yeah. So, uh... They say that essentially, I guess it was like there was some kind of embolism or like whatever. I don't know much about brains, me not smart, brain smart, (laughs) but the damage that was there, they needed to do like another operation in order to reduce the chance of a future stroke for him. So I think there was like a clot they had to clear. And when they did that, they had to put him into a medically induced coma that then I think like was more time that he was out. And so he was in, like, in and out of the hospital for the next several years and couldn't walk, couldn't basically talk and had to, like, essentially he talked about it It was like being reborn and having to relearn how to do everything and, like, losing all of his independence. But he was like, I could still remember what it was like before this happened. He's like, so I'm in a fucking wheelchair because I had a brain hemorrhage and I can't walk for, like, years. And it was so depressing and debilitating and basically, like, was wanted to kill himself for like a, a big chunk of that which like i can imagine like i well i can't actually this sounds like fucking horrible. horrible yeah so <laughs> there was a lot of they did not make it public when it happened nobody like they wanted to keep it on the down low they thought it would be like really inappropriate to make it like public knowledge and stuff like that especially because the band had already broken up and they were like he deserves his privacy but people did find out and a lot of people sent a lot of support he thanks them in the documentary but it sounds like Jeff and Bill were both, like, very involved in, like, keeping him there. And, like, his parents were still around and supporting him. And, like, it just... it, it was, It's really sad. It makes me, like, sad to think about, like, that kind of shit happens. And, uh, you know, and he said, like, there was nothing I could have done to prevent it. Like, it was just a thing that happened. And so... Uh, he has since gone on. He's, like, back to drumming. He's talking about in the video, and, like, the neurologists have said, like, he's doing amazing. Like, he's made... He's done... He's had a recovery better than, like, anybody could have expected on every level, but, like, he still is not himself, and I I think I talked about it in the first episode. You watch the old Headbangers Ball interviews where he's in, and he's, like... You know, he's just, like, all the rest of them and has, like, the same kind of energy, and then the documentary is all him post brain injury and it's you know he's got like a very slow measured speech and just
1: like different kind of mannerisms you're you're in a coma for nine years and then you have to relearn how to do everyday (laughs) things yeah it'll kind of yeah no and it's it's not
0: like you know i mean for all the joking we can do and like harsh joking and shit it's one of those things where like mad respect to the person who doesn't fucking just say like kill me just let me die after some shit like that goes down or like you're so drastically different like i can only imagine and um so he he's since gone on he released i think on Bandcamp. it was an electronic album that's like very much in the vein of like quote-unquote electronica it's sort of all over the place there's techno tracks and ambient tracks it's not particularly good i I like electronic music i like carcass but like he went back to school i didn't find out what his degrees are but i'm pretty sure when he came back post-injury it was for electronic music engineering I think he got a new degree in that so um so i think he's pretty trained in it if not he got that degree before but he definitely has that
1: would have been funnier if he was a doctor
0: yeah so uh he did do some i don't know if he's done any drumming for black star since and he's played a little bit of drums at some of their live reunion shows but basically like he can't drum like he used to and so he can't be involved in that way and that leads us to surgical steel So, Surgical Steel was released on September 13th, 2013. It was recorded in 2013 at Chapel Studios and was partially produced by Colin Richardson and then um, finished mixing and mastering by Andy Sneap. Sneap. So, it's interesting because they talk about, Carcass talks about how after Heartwork, they didn't want to make another Heartwork, you know. That, that's why they made Swan Song, and they weren't down to repeat themselves. And then you, I specifically watched this Metal Injection interview after the album had come out, and they're like, "Yeah, we didn't want to make Car or Heartwork Part Two back then, but like now we did, and so we did." <laughs> and I don't think it's very good. Um, it's sold well, and there were magazines that said it was the best metal album of the year. I think that that's unfair praise for an old famous band that should have just left it alone. They had a pretty spotless legacy. Even if you include Swan Song, at least it was true to their own personal vision. And to come back and do a new version of like what's in some ways your most famous and best-selling album, uh, it just doesn't seem genuine to like everything they had done before that. Right. And i'm going to do this for the benefit of all our listeners because this is the issue i have with the album so this is these are the lyrics from the first full song called thrasher's avatar on the album Dec De- what is it deliceration amputation mutilation anatomization decimation victimization brutalization humiliation annihilation damnification degradation dehumanization Hipsters and posers, I abhor. Welcome to the thrasher's abattoir. Detruncation, termination with no sedation. Emasculation, terrorization, extermination. This means total war, and that's spelled W period, A period, R period. Welcome to absolute poser slot. Die, time to die, die in pain. Strangulation, suffocation, mutilation, asphyxiation, immolation, victimization brutalization mortification annihilation exsanguination dehumanization welcome to the thrasher's abattoir and it gets worse
1: (laughs) it gets worse
0: it gets worse
1: but they're gonna kill the posers yeah you know
0: what i won't go further i don't think i need to i'll just show you a song heard some uh some surgical steel what'd you think about that
1: That that's dumb yeah also one of the dumbest music videos i've ever seen (laughs) well you shouldn't you should yeah yeah there i mean there
0: are there are delmer as far as heavy metal goes but
1: yeah that's pretty bad though well
0: and i mean the thing is it's like I can give the heartwork video a break or the necroticism videos a break. The
1: heartwork video was fun, though. There's, yeah. They were in a steel mill, and yeah. they actually looked like they were... Doing steel stuff. Doing steel stuff, and it looked like they were actually... Okay, so like when it comes to like a lot of like metal music videos, when you're screaming, you're supposed to look like you're screaming, not like you're talking and they're dubbing screaming over you, like they do in this song. Yeah, well, and the thing is, again, like early 90s
0: heavy metal videos... They had not perfected the art form yet. Like, they're pretty rough for the most part. Even the best songs had, like, mediocre videos. So. But the hard work uh, uh, video came out before this, though. Well, no, I know, I know. I I agree. (laughs) But so that's what I'm saying. Like, even though they're not perfect, I give them a pass. Whereas, like, this, now that you've had all the time in the world to figure it out, and, like, that is, this is not, this is not it. You know, (laughs) Maximilian had a dream of Rome, and this is, this is not it. This is not it, it, no. What What is his name? Marcus Aurelius. Sorry, I had a dream of Rome. And this is not it. <laughs> it's not it. I don't know if that's exactly how he says it, but pretty close. You you sounded a bit Scottish there. Yeah, I might have. <laughs> <laughs> so they record the album. Ken Owen uh, cannot can't do the drumming for it. So during their rough well reunion shows or whatever you want to call them, there was like an six year period leading up to this where they were playing shows off and on i saw them before i think it was before the album was announced in uh at death fest in 2013 and they played i think one or two new songs but maybe it wasn't i can't remember i wasn't even drunk but i just don't remember um, i remember when you went to that show yeah it was fucking awesome i was super excited so and it was a really good live show like there's no question like all of those songs that are not aren't quite as good like you see them live and everybody was super stoked it was it was sick and they had done a lot of drumming with this guy or they had used this drummer Dan Wilding for the a lot of the live shows and they had generally a second guitarist and, and on top of Bill Steer and this I feel like I heard about Surgical Steel right after I saw them at Death Fest and I was not excited because again like you've not been at it for a long time and they've had other bands and whatever whatever but like it just seemed like it was not going to be good now they talk about in their interview with metal injection like they set themselves up perfectly because everybody hated their last album so much that like anything they did after that would be received better (laughs) and this album has been extremely well received i am not in the majority of opinions what oh hold on sure what year did this album come out? 2013. Okay. How old were they? Uh, well, let's... I mean, I think all the guys were born in... If they were 18 and 86, then they were born in, what, the late... Yeah, they were born in, like, 69 and 70. Okay. So... So how old were they? Uh,
1: 43, four, I think. So someone in their you know, maybe 40s. Definitely 40s. Wrote, welcome to absolute poser slot. Yeah. That's all I'm gonna say. That's all I'm gonna say, man. Yeah. And that's sort of, you know, again, Swan Song,
0: if you want to make a hard rock album with stupid lyrics, okay, fine. Like, you drink enough beer, everything is fine. But if... Well, and, I mean, there are many, 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 many death metal albums with awful lyrics, even for death metal style. But
1: the, my, my point is, this sounds like it was written by someone who's in high school.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it does. It sounds <laughs> a lot like that. And it's, it sounds like somebody who's was written in high school for, like, a knockoff of August Burns Red, like, you know, with the occasional s- Swedish death metal flourish. like
1: Well, with way less Jesus, too. Yeah, but whatever. And...
0: But you know what I'm saying like that, that just it's just like and so I'm trying to like talk about the facts, but it's hard (laughs) because, again, I listened to Swan Song and then I listened to this because I was like, I got to get acquainted because I I heard one song from this when it came out. I was like, I'm not buying this album. Like, I'm just I love Carcass the way I know them and I don't need to ruin that. And and I was so tempted so many times because it's got like their old emblem of all the surgical instruments is like the album cover. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. It seems kind of cool and 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 so i listened to swan song and i was like yeah this is kind of dumb some of this is kind of dumb and then i listened to this and i was like this is fucking full-on retarded like i'm like what happened here like i don't and apparently they they had no label when they started recording it was all self-finance and i guess like they didn't have anybody up above to say like you need to change these lyrics these are not good lyrics like nobody stepped in or maybe they did and i guess i respect your Ability at 40 plus years old to like make bad decisions we all have that opportunity it's what midlife crises are for
1: i suppose so wait uh, <laughs> hipsters and posers i abhor i'm sorry this isn't high school lyrics. this is a 70 year old man telling people to get off his fucking lawn yeah
0: it's a little of both <laughs> and and what it reminds me of is a band that was atrociously bad they they wrote about themselves in their own songs from like i think the second album onwards like on every other song which is kmfdm now when i was doing a ton of drugs in high school kmfdm were pretty sick or at least they had a couple really good albums but but that was it like that's <laughs> when that stopped being cool like i can listen to symbols now and say okay this is kind of fun or i listen to neil and I say, okay it just reminds me of when i used to do a lot of speed. But I can't listen to Surgical Steel, hear lyrics like that. Like, that's the worst song as far as lyrics go. But the rest of them are either, like, piss-poor simulcra of what they used to do or equally bad. There's one where, like, they start just, like, yelling out
1: numbers, like, in part of the <laughs> breakdown. And it's just, like... Are they at least in order? Is it just, like, four, seven, nine? Yeah, it's it's literally something like that. Like, oh, God, what,
0: what are they saying? There oh, is. Yeah. Six, zero, two, six, nine, six, one. Yeah. I don't know what these are in relation to, but I don't frankly care because it's dumb to be reading numbers in your heavy metal song. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I, I really struggled to do the research here because I didn't want to. Like, I just don't. I, you know, like, I I get it but i also don't and we live in an age more than any other where i feel like i mean and i'm sure this isn't true i'm sure all ages have dealt with the nostalgia of the bands they love 20 years later coming back i mean some bands like the eagles just never stopped but i don't want to hear extreme music bands come back and fucking shit all over themselves way down the line like it doesn't matter whether it's a screamo band from the mid 90s that were like never a big deal then got internet famous way after they broke up and then came back around because people were interested or like a band like slint who released one of the most influential albums on post rock and quiet rock and all this like indie shit nobody cared about so they broke up all depressed and heartbroken and now come back as like the you know Forward thinkers that they were, but like, I don't give a shit because they're not them anymore. Like, it's and it's just fucking stupid. And Swans are like one of the few bands where like they kind of did a pretty good job coming back, but then I would see them live and the best songs would be all their fucking old ones. And it's like, why am I here, you know? Yeah, and for some artists who like stay in the game and stay relevant, it's extremely difficult, but like, kudos to you. And if you occasionally want to bring back your old band, okay, whatever. You know, Nine Inch Nails is one of the only other ones where I give a pass because they've basically never stopped. And, you know, it's it's always sort of a hit parade at their live shows, but, like, I fucking love those songs. And, you know, they they were never... Well, whatever. We should do a Nine Inch
1: Nails episode. But this... We this, should definitely do a Nine Inch Nails episode. I'm sorry. Please go on. Yeah, no, you're good. This is not that, and... Well, it's, it's hard, right? Because, like, I mean... They're, you're, you're older you're not in the same mentality how how long was it since they had been broken up uh it was 96 so seven 17 years almost 20 years yeah like you're not you're not that same person you're not gonna be able to make that same music the way you were before if you want to come back and do a reunion tour that's one thing but like writing a new albums tricky because like yeah. no one wants to see a pop punk band who's in their 40s now
0: right. Yeah, it's just like what you're, and I mean at least this isn't like pop punk where it's like you sing about high school stuff because you're mm-hmm. in high school and then you're forty and it feels less genuine. My
1: girlfriend left me and took my pizza, but I will stand up for this town.
0: Yeah, um, that's so, all pop punk lyrics. Yeah, so it's not it's not quite that, but it's just you know, and again, there are bands that can like keep it and do it, and sometimes it means they're just rehashing what they did. Which I guess in a lot of ways Carcass is, but I just feel like they do a shitty job of it. And it's interesting because, I mean, there are, uh, in a positive review on the website Invisible Oranges, Ali Karim describes the album's machine gun picking strafes, heavy mid-tempo stomps, and virtuistic yet yet hooky, thin Lizzy-esque twin guitar harmonies and said, This may not end up being your favorite Carcass album, but it may be objectively the best realization of their sound. And it's like, shoot me in the fucking head if that's true. <laughs> so, you know, I guess if that's their vision, they're entitled to it. But it's just disappointing. And they did a, a follow-up EP. I
1: can't even fucking remember the name. Some kind of something steel, extra steel or some bullshit. So this this is this is completely off metal. But, yeah. Um, my favorite band recently broke up saying anything. And Aren't they just putting out a new thing? Or just... They put out a new album. Yeah. Like they they announced it was coming out and then broke up uh they so long story short their like first studio full-length album was like the thing that blew them up like Mm -hmm. it it was everyone fell in love with it and they they never really did that again they kept changing and i i I followed along with them for that because i like most oh pretty much all of their albums I've given a cursory glance to their new album, which is supposed to be a sequel to that album, uh, Was a Real Boy. It's just funny, because I was reading about them.
0: I was listening to an episode where we were talking about them as related to Crossed, and so it made me look them up, and then I saw that, and I started reading this whole thing. So yeah.
1: So it's not that. <laughs> which is fine. Which is totally fine. Yeah. But don't tell me... Because, like, I, I'm not, like... I Don't get me wrong. I, I love that album that they did. You know, and... But like, don't tell me you're like, oh, I'm going to make a sequel to this album and have it be like your new shit, because it's not, it's not a sequel. It's, 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 you're just using a character that you played off in that album to make a totally more stripped down, more like less studio sounding album. It more sounds like something that they recorded in his house, which is what their album before that sounded like, Mm -hmm. which is fine. But like I, I was just like, I can't. I don't know if I can get behind this. like yeah. yeah, so, yeah, no, I hear you. I mean, you know, who
0: doesn't have many favorite bands that make terrible decisions and make you whatever? And I haven't seen them tour since Death Fest. They've been in the United States at least twice. And it's like, it it is to me, like, even without hearing it, which is partially unfair, but like one of those situations where I just know I'm going to be disappointed, so I'm not going to do it. I'm just not going to bite. And if they want to play, like, I get that. I would want to play, too. That seems way better than, like, doing other stuff. But I'm not going to pay a ticket to see a band, like, after they've passed their glory days and are now playing new shit that sucks. You know, there are two bands I can think of off the top of my head that never stopped playing and stayed pretty consistently awesome even if you can say that other periods were better which are Neurosis and Converge who recently toured together back in 2017 and it was fucking great because Neurosis have like gone on to redefine their sound in some ways like they have a core thing but they like every album has its own vibe sound style whatever and Converge is exactly the same way and you may prefer Jane Doe but uh, their albums subsequent to that are all really almost all of them are very like are exceptional and do their own thing. And because they've never stopped touring and they've never stopped recording, like they are fucking really good at what they do. Like they know how to put on a killer. They're masters of their craft. Yeah, right. Like they're super tight. Like they're it's all those things. And it's I think exceptionally difficult to come back and say, We're gonna record a new album and we haven't been relevant in twenty years. Like the only other band that did that was when I saw Demolik where like they didn't do any new material because they're like we it's too hard we can't write this we're all too old but we can still play the old shit and they played an incredible show of like you know they have one album and a couple other demo tracks that are different, that's what I'm and saying it. and it was like that was it and they played every single song and it was awesome and then they were like done and I'm I was thrilled <laughs> so please don't record more because it's not going to be as good like and it's been 20 years so just fucking don't 26 years is counting. So I hate to leave on that disappointing note, but I I do want to say that despite Surgical Steel, Carcass is definitely for me one of my favorite bands. Necroticism is is easily one of my all time favorite albums, and as I said, top three death metal albums. Uh, using that term pseudo loosely, I mean, but it's obviously a death metal album. Like, listen to it; it's a fucking death metal album. I don't. They can say <laughs> whatever they want; it's death metal. Um, you know, they they were huge in my influence and interest in metal. And I'll never not appreciate them for that. Their old shit is extreme on every level. The lyrics, the visuals, like the playing, it's all fucking ridiculous. The production's awful, it's great. And they got to a place of like high refinement come Heartwork and Swan Song that are also really enjoyable. And I feel like I'll continue to enjoy Swan Song and I think I'm gonna develop a relationship with that album. Whereas like, I'm just not, I, I just can't do it with Surgical Steel. No. But that's okay. They're entitled to do that, and I encourage you. If if you know, hopefully, if you've stuck through almost four hours of me talking about carcass, you've probably already heard them. But if you haven't, like, really check them out. There's there's any of those. Every album has its own unique thing to offer. Pick the one that sounds like the most appealing to you, and then work from
1: there. Yeah, make make your own opinion. Yeah, absolutely. That that
0: would be if there's any one thing I could ever say about any of the stuff I say don't just listen to me or anybody else like don't hate an album because i hate it don't love an album because somebody else does make your own judgments try to listen to it with a clean slate i don't i really try hard to never read a review of a movie or an album before i've already seen or listened to it multiple times so i can have my own opinion and then judge against basically judge other people on how wrong they are for not agreeing with me
1: yeah except with my video game reviews because video games are expensive yeah that's a different thing but um
0: but yeah i mean seriously like be your own person form your own ideas like carcass are amazing because they always made the albums they wanted to make up until they made surgical steel and i guess even that was whatever but you know do that if there's a lesson to learn it's be your own person be your own band Just
1: fuck everybody else yeah
0: fuck everybody else fuck them fuck them right in their buttholes right in
1: their tight, poopers pooper dupers. do you have anything to add on this uh, whole deal no this was fun Four hours of you talking, me giggling occasionally. Yeah, I'm just messing. With this is good. Let me, uh, guys, let us know how much you liked this. Um, we're gonna probably be having some more episodes where we talk about bands. Uh, maybe we're not we, probably. We are. We will. We're 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 we have some ideas in our works for future episodes. Um, we want to hear your feedback, uh, unless it's bad. So get us get us at the Facebooks. Get us at the SoundClouds. Get us Instagram. at the Instagrams. Get us at motahelpodcast at gmail.com. Write and review on that there, iTunes Podcast Store. Yes, we have been getting more ratings. Um, I, I know at least 60 of you listen to our podcasts every week, so yeah. just give us, the more you give us, the easier it is for us to do it, but regardless, fuck all y'all because we love doing this and we're going to keep doing this like we just said. Yeah, and I, and I want to give two little teasers for the things ahead. I think next week
0: we're getting real sexy. Super sexy. We're getting sexy. And then for those who loved it, you're going to love this because we're going to do a carcass part three, but it's going to be about other people's history with the band. And we're bringing our crime scene cleanup technician back for that episode. We, are, with we some, are, Some other guests. So that should be a lot of fun. Uh, but that'll be down the road. We yeah, don't, we don't we know we don't, when that's going to happen yet. Yeah, we don't want to overdo it on the carcass front. Uh, and yeah. look for those two things there'll be more announcements and stuff like that but yeah keep on rotting in a free world don't later nerds (laughs) later